Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams one film at a time. Starting with his debut as a film composer in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Hi everyone, hope you're having a good day so far, and I hope this episode of The Baton will make your day even better. Someone who only seemed to have one or two good days is the main character of the movie we're focusing on today, The Paper Chase. Timothy Bottoms stars as James Hart, a man who finds himself at odds with his intimidating professor and the demands of the first year at Harvard Law School. The film is based on a novel that was written by John J. Osborne, who was himself a Harvard Law student. I saw this film first as a college student, and I never really felt like this put a mirror up to my life as a college student. I wasn't a law student, and I didn't go to Harvard, so it felt like this wasn't a cautionary tale. It felt like a decent movie with a few good performances, wonderful cinematography, and of course, a nice score by John Williams. Back when I saw it the first time, I was aware of John Williams and his amazing career, and I knew this came before he became very famous. But the score didn't hold much interest for me then, and I dismissed it as an average effort for Williams. So we fast forward to now, and after more than two decades of being a John Williams fan, and after 30 episodes examining his career through this podcast, my opinion of the score has changed, but only slightly. I still grade it as average, though I am much more impressed by the myriad of musical styles Williams used to great effect in the film. This was the fifth film by director James Bridges, who had previously worked as a writer on the Alfred Hitchcock Hour in the 1960s. Bridges also wrote the screenplay for The Paper Chase, and indications are that it stays very close to the events of the novel, though the one big change he made was to show the audience that Hart got an A in his contract law class. In the book, Hart's final grade is not revealed. The film itself is famous for the performance of John Houseman as Professor Kingsfield, who is called tyrannical in the film's description on the DVD case. I wouldn't describe him as tyrannical, but he surely does rule with an iron fist. He's demanding, and he gets results. He has a reputation that extends beyond the Harvard campus, as evidenced by mentions of his associations with presidents and Supreme Court justices. Houseman had been involved behind the camera for many years, and his former association with Orson Welles has been well documented. Speaking of tyrannical, Wells was, was just that, it seemed, regarding the movie Citizen Kane, trying to say that pretty much every aspect of filmmaking was his idea. But Hausman spoke publicly about Herman Mankiewicz's writing, saying it was Mankiewicz who did pretty much all of the work on the screenplay, not Wells. Hausman was able to make that assertion because he was reportedly hired by Wells to oversee the writing process. So, Hausman saw firsthand the creation of the screenplay and was not afraid to give the proper credit. That effectively ended the relationship between Wells and Hausman. Hausman would go on to be an acting professor, most notably at Juilliard from 1968 to 1976, so he wasn't at Juilliard at the same time as Williams. Bridges wanted more famous actors to play Kingsfield, but they were all unavailable or turned it down. Houseman said he used some of his own experiences as a professor in his performance, and it definitely helped. When it came time to hire a composer, it seems like Williams wanted this job. Though Williams says he usually doesn't read scripts beforehand, 
He had likely heard of this project in the works at 20th Century Fox, where he was one of their top freelance composers. This project came to him after a much-needed break of a few months after a busy 1972, when he was pretty much working non-stop through the year. Williams didn't tackle this score until spring 1973, and once he got down to writing, he had some interesting plans for the score. What I find extremely interesting is there is no music written for the classroom lecture scenes, and no thematic material composed for Professor Kingsfield. Actually, no one character gets a theme, but there is a love theme for Hart and the woman he falls for at Harvard, a flighty woman named Susan. We find out she's Kingsfield's daughter, which definitely complicates the relationship. Lindsay Wagner plays Susan, and this comes three years before she's shot to superstardom as the bionic woman on TV. So, as I said, there's no music for any of the classroom scenes in which Kingfield ignites his fear into his students with his seemingly extreme demand that his students know the cases which will be discussed in class. It takes Hart several weeks to work his way into Kingsfield's favor, and after giving an impressive answer in one class, we get our first piece of underscore, That's a good answer. Not a complete analysis, not a hard question, but the point is, I did it. <laughs> I did it in Kingsfield's class, and it's a goddamn dance. I was certain that this was written by John Williams, but the end credits might suggest otherwise. The credits list a concerto for three trumpets, a timpani drum, two oboes, and harpsichord composed in the 1700s by Georg Telemann. I've listened to the original 10-minute concerto three times, and the music has the same flavor, but the notes are different and the tempo is much faster in the film version. Also, the music fits the scene too perfectly even the quieter parts of the music, while Hart is talking. My opinion is that Williams wrote a variation on the Telemann Concerto, using the same instrumentation and the same Baroque style. So, moving on, Williams actually does write a piece of music in the Baroque style for a scene in which Hart is trying to escape Kingsfield's house after having sex with his daughter. Kingsfield has returned early from a trip to New York, it seems, and Williams puts in an energetic piece that sort of highlights the elitist feel of Kingsfield's house. You could imagine that only this type of music is played in the Kingsfield home.
The harpsichord writing for this scene is outstanding. I think it adds a bit of comedy to the scene while the strings keep the action pulsing forward. This is not the best quote-unquote action music he writes for the film, but it certainly had me amazed at the artistry and the decision to write music in this style. As we heard earlier with the Telemann variation and this music, almost all upbeat music dealing with academia will be performed in this Baroque style. A very interesting choice by Williams and Bridges. My favorite piece of action music comes near the end of the film when Hart and one of his classmates decide to leave the dorm and stay in a hotel to study for the final exam. The piece starts with an urgent string ostinato as the two pack up to leave the dorm. When they run into one of the guys in their study group who wants to see the notes they've written, the harpsichord kicks in. Was that an electric guitar? That was unexpected. <laughs> I can't imagine the thinking behind including that in the cue, and there's no real association between that guitar and the on-screen action. If it had been used earlier in the film, I wouldn't have been so jarred by its inclusion here. Perhaps it's there to highlight the dichotomy between the academic world and the more modern world that the students live in. In any case, the music continues as Hart and Ford leave the dorm and check into the hotel. The electric guitar keeps intruding every once in a while, but the harpsichord still leads. Love theme has some beauty to it, and writing it for the piano at first and then for flute makes it tender, even though this relationship has flaws from the start. We don't get the love theme when Hart and Susan first meet, or after the first time they make love. It comes 35 minutes into the film, after Hart realizes that Susan is Kingsfield's daughter. Despite this news, he shows up at her home anyway, 
and John Williams gives us a nice melody on the piano, backed by a celeste, I think. That segues to the flute for a brief moment, then the celeste and piano return when Hart gets into bed with Susan. Later on, when Susan begins to get frustrated that Hart's studies are interrupting their love lives, she asks him to stop putting their relationship in a tidy box and be irrational. His response is to walk onto a frozen lake. To keep us from being afraid of the two falling through the ice, which they will, Williams uses the flute for the love theme. The irony is that in the next scene, Susan will ask Hart to never see her again.
So why is Williams being so soft and tender with his on-again, off-again romance? Perhaps he is rooting for this couple to succeed, and musically he's convincing us to do so as well. It kind of worked for me, though I kept getting frustrated as Susan constantly unsure if she wants to date a law student or not. As I was preparing my notes for this episode, I wondered if John Williams attempted to write a theme for Kingsfield. How would it sound? Obviously not too menacing. I mean, this is a straightforward contemporary drama, not some action film with heightened tension. Perhaps there's no music that could accurately portray the personality of Charles Kingfield without us imagining some mustache twirling. But I would have loved to hear any attempts Williams made at it. The only time we get music in the film associated with Kingsfield happens when Hart sneaks into the restricted section of the law library where the notes of the professors are kept when they were students. Hart thinks he'll understand Kingsfield better if he can read his notes from his time as a student. The strings and flutes accompany what I think is a harp run through a synthesizer. The music highlights the eerie atmosphere of red boxes, weird floor lighting, and existential quotes from Kingsfield's notebooks.
On the soundtrack release of this film, this music is entitled The Passing of Wisdom, and it's the second track on the CD, though the cue is actually the fifth chronologically in the film. The title makes the cue sound more important than it really is, though the scene itself is a turning point for Hart. That said, I like the ethereal quality of The Passing of Wisdom. There's a quasi-melody wafting through the cue, a series of notes played on that synthesized harp, but it's mostly atmospheric, allowing the dialogue to take charge. You know, now that I think of it, that melody might have been a good theme for Kingsfield. Sounds very mysterious, ethereal, and if you put it on horns or in the cellos, it might work for Kingsfield. I'd leave it up to my musically trained listeners to transcribe that theme to horns or cellos, and let me know if that makes for a good Kingsfield theme. So as I said before, the film version shows us that Hart got an A in the class. But Hart never opens the envelope with his grades. Instead, he folds the envelope into a paper airplane and tosses it into the ocean with Susan looking on. The movie ends there, and you're left to wonder if Hart is quitting law school, or if he knew he passed and didn't need to find out. I'm inclined to believe the first theory is true, but Hollywood didn't agree. A three-season TV show was created in 1978 that shows Hart going all the way through law school, which in the TV show isn't mentioned as Harvard. But in the film, the fact that Williams put in the love theme to close out the film makes me believe that he and Bridges are sticking to the theory that Hart is giving up law school to be with Susan.
All through the years when I was learning more about John Williams, particularly when I was working to listen to all the scores he wrote that were nominated for Academy Awards, I constantly thought The Paper Chase was one of those Oscar nominations. And every time I would look in the Academy database, I would be proven wrong. Perhaps Hausman's win and the screenplay's nomination made me believe the score would get the same notice, but it did not. Again, I do continually think this is an average effort from John Williams, an effort which is still better than many of his contemporaries at the time. I'm willing to bet that the score was ranked either 6th or 7th when the Oscar nomination tallies were done. The score is not his best work from 1973 and not his worst either. But considering his output for 1973, it's better than it needed to be. And here's an interesting tidbit about the score for The Paper Chase. According to my friends at the American Federation of Musicians, the score was recorded in just one day on April 4th, 1973. There doesn't seem to be any reason why Williams felt the need to get the recording done in one day. He didn't have another score to write for a few more months, so he wasn't in a hurry. Perhaps the studio was being used the other days? Who knows? Perhaps the studio orchestra was just so good that Williams didn't need more than a day to get the score completed. Perhaps budget constraints by 20th Century Fox required a very quick recording session. We have one more score from 1973 to discuss, and John Williams saved his best for last. I can't wait to talk about Cinderella Liberty, and I'll be joined by a guest co-host who counts that score as his favorite. I'm excited to hear his thoughts on the next episode. Until then, as always, I invite you to chime in with your thoughts about the show or any of the scores you've heard so far. Please submit a review on this podcast on iTunes and email me with your comments at jeffswim at aol.com. Thanks as always for listening, and until next time, the baton is down.